All right. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Jody, for that introduction. I don't deserve it. Um, I'm excited about today. Uh, we have been studying the book, The Traveler's Gift. And so in this book, it's one by Andy Andrews, and it is probably, hands down, top three book in my life. And if you've read it, you've probably experienced some awesome things in yours as well. So we are studying seven decisions, which is seven, right? This is his picture, and you see the words listed there. Uh, Pastor Jody has talked to you about the first three. And he said last week was probably the most important decision we'll make. Well, I'm going to be biased, and I'm going to say that today is the most important decision that you make. It's not because I get to speak to you today, but it's because I think there's a unique perspective about seven. We have three leading up to today. We have three after today. So I feel like everything hinges on this fourth decision today. And I don't want to be selfish, uh, but the cool thing about this is Pastor Jody knows that today's sermon is tough for me. And he, he picked out this chapter for me, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, but today I want you to know that I'm not preaching at you, and if it hurts, good, because it's going to hurt me. It's been hurting me for months, right? So like, if you hear things you're like, dang, that bro just said, yep, I did. I did say that because God said it to me, and so I've been wrestling with a lot of things lately about today's decision. So I give you the spoiler. Today's decision is you have a decided heart, so the certain decision. And uh, how many of you would say, I'm, I'm a former educator, by the way, so I like a little bit of interaction, but not too much. I give you write-offs, as they say, right? So if you say too much, we're going to have to write Psalm 119 over and over. So 176 verses, if you're wondering. So <clears throat> how many of you would say that you're indecisive by a show of hands? You're just indecisive. So, like, the majority of you are decisive? I'm amazed right now. So... Some of you are indecisive, and you're with me in that boat. Now, how many of you would say that your spouse is indecisive? Okay, put your hand down. You shouldn't ever do that, right? <laughs> like, you should never boast them out like that. So anyway, uh, for us, I think that indecisions are constant in our life because we just haven't really made up our mind about, can I handle the aftermath of the decision that I make? It's not always the decision, right? Today, you're probably wondering, where are we going to eat after this? And then you, your spouse, the people you're with, I don't know, I don't care. Where do you want to go? Here? No, not there. You just say you didn't care, right? Like, how are we supposed to know these things? So some of you are indecisive about restaurants. Some of you are indecisive about what you wore today. I wore two outfits today. Y'all didn't know that, but I wore two different outfits. One when I was playing practice this morning, and one while I speak to you today. Um, and my wife, she is the reason I'm in this today. So everybody, yeah, that's why. So, but for me, I really wrestled with should I buy this or not? Anybody else like that? Like, should I really buy this item? And for me, it's always comes down to two things. Do I want it? Absolutely. Do I need it? Probably not. Therefore, I don't buy it, right? So like 98% of everything that I want, I just don't buy because I don't need it. So my wife helps me there and Pastor Jody as well. He, he backs Morgan up so that we can have those conversations as well. But <clears throat> some of you, uh, you're indecisive like me a little bit. And so today I'm going to tell you a story um, about really showing you a vulnerability of my indecisiveness. At 12 or 13 years old, I felt God called me to ministry. And if anybody in here has ever felt the call of God, you pretty much ignored it, probably, like I did. And you're like, nope, he didn't talk to me. He meant to talk to the other person next to me, right? Like, there's no way me can do these things, or I, whatever the English, I don't know English right now. So ultimately, we're going to look at how I decided to uh, go after my degree. So I'm going to put this quote up today, and this is really, I want all of you to think about it, that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, Right? So in my life, I've taken thousands and millions of steps, probably. But today, I'm going to show you just a small portion of my journey. And everybody in this room is on a journey. Like You're on a journey right now, 
and some of you are in a great spot, and some of you feel like, man, this is a really tough spot. So today I'm going to tell you about one of these steps that I've made, and it's how I chose my degree. Many of you know I have a degree in education from Mississippi State University. Many of you know that I do not teach anymore, and some of you are like, wow, that bro didn't last long. He looks young. Yes, four years is all that I taught, and so I'm going to tell you how I ended up choosing my degree um, because if you're going to college right now, I need you to listen to me. This is not how you pick your degree, okay? And those of you that have a degree, you're probably like, that dude is crazy, but I've ran this by my wife if she's cool with me sharing it, and she said yes. So I always worked with my hands just growing up and did things. I was lazy for like the first 10 years at least. But then after that, I started working, and I really enjoyed using my hands to do stuff. And so I did landscaping, and I loved it. So I thought, okay, I'll just do landscaping because, side note, some people just don't want to cut their yard, right? So people just don't want to do it. There's always supply right there in demand. So I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i provide the supply if you have the demand. Brother Ronnie knows what I'm talking about. So what we have is this opportunity. I knew if I can just do this, I'll get a degree to fall back on, right? So I looked at college like a way to supplement like what I liked, right? And that's not what you do. So the way that I chose my degree, I go to early honors orientation, which is even worse because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I'm with my friends, and they wanted to be engineers, and they're both engineers today, so it worked out for them. And so for me, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, guys, I have no idea what to do with my life. Like, I don't know why I'm here. I've got my basics out of the way, basically, and I don't know how to choose, like, the future. So they call you by department. If you're with the College of Kinesiology, stand. You go meet the registrar. You register for classes. College of Engineering, stand, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's starting to stand and go, and I'm sitting there, like, twiddling my thumbs, looking at my friends, and I'm like, guys, I have no idea what to do. So naturally, this is where it's kind of shameful. They said, the College of Education, and every woman stood up. It was like a mass exodus of every tribe, nation, and tongue. They stood up, and they were like, Phew. And so naturally, panic, they're going. I, guys, I found my degree. I'm going into College of Education, right? And so, like, that's literally how I ended up in that degree. Now, some of you may think, wow, that dude's crazy. God's funny, because... I go, and then I didn't know anything about it, and they said, hey, um, do you want to do secondary or elementary? One thing I know is little kids, I don't know what to do with them. Do you hold them? They have snotty noses. I have no idea. So not that. I can do secondary. I can handle a little attitude. I can argue a little bit. So let's do that. Well, then I didn't know you had to pick English, science, math. I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, let's look at my basics. What can I do and get out of here in four years? That's what I said. Well, you've taken a lot of history. Okay, that sounds good. Maybe you should do social studies. Perfect. Let's do social studies. This is where God laughed because I didn't know for the next almost three years I'd be in nothing but classes with dudes, right? Right? So, like, I stood up to go because all the women went in education, and then all the dudes went in history. And I was like, that's great, God. Like, I get it. And so all of that time I was just struggling to, like, is this the right decision? Like, I haven't met a woman because what I realized, side note, women that go in education, they usually marry the engineer that my friend was, right? So I was like, (laughs) dang, man. So ultimately, that was a big flop. So I wrestled with my degree. Should I change it? I changed my degree eight times in two years. One day, kid you not, um, I went and changed my degree to psychology in the morning. And I said, hey, I'm out of this. Put me back in education that evening. Like, I was jacked up because I was just indecisive because really I was just running. I was just running from this one decision that God had spoken to me, but I was wrestling with all this indecisiveness. 
can I really have fun if I'm called to ministry, right? You all know, like, Christians don't have fun, right? So, like, can I really do these things that just sound amazing? So I wrestled with all of these uh, indecisions that I had in my life. But as you can see, by the grace of God, I'm not in education anymore. I went through this long route on this long journey, and he has me here today full-time on staff with Pastor Jody at the assembly. And so I'm fortunate for that. So I say that because I want you to think, like, you guys can look at me and laugh at this indecisiveness in my life, but how many of you have the same story? Or how many of you have wrestled with something that's really big in your life? Some of you have wrestled with, hey, uh, this house is awesome, but it's just $50,000 out of my budget. Should I buy it? The answer is no. And so you shouldn't buy that house. And so houses are huge investments, so you're wrestling. Can we afford this? Should we live here? Should we move to this city? Some of you have thought about this job. If you're like me, you're like, for a long time, uh, it's an opening, I'll take it. It's not a passion. So then you wake up every day and you don't really want to go to work. And that's all because of this indecisiveness in your life. And ultimately, some of you were indecisive about a spouse. Is this the right person for me? Is it not? Some of you are sitting next to them. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So don't raise your hand at all if you're indecisive about your spouse right now. And uh, side note, some of you are wondering, is this the right church for me? Whether it's this church or the churches that you've attended, the church that you left, you ask these questions and you're trying to make a decision. And I'll just give you a side note. If you're looking for the perfect church with all the bells and whistles, you're not going to find it. But you have to make a decision at some point to say, I want to be a part of this body of imperfect people that go through life together. And we would love to have you here at the assembly to join our family and realize that we are truly jacked up. So you can jump right in. So, So I say all that today because I want us to look at a story in the text of the Word of God that's alive and active, that still speaks to us today. And as soon as Pastor Jody told me that I was going to talk about this, I knew exactly what I was going to talk about. And of all the indecisiveness that I have, I decided I have to stick with it to make a decision to show a good example. So today we're going to look at this story in Numbers chapter 13. If you have any uh, format that you use, whatever, feel free. We're going to be in Numbers 13. And I'm going to give you a little background before we jump into it. This story uh, picks up where they're at in the history of Israel. They have been set free from Egyptian captivity. So Moses is leading the Israelites by the hand of God. He's leading them. The Lord is providing for them. The Israelites are doing what we do today. They can't make any decision. And when they finally make one, they complain about it because it wasn't the right one. So they're wrestling with all this regret. And so where we're at now is Israel is set free, and they're heading towards the promised land. They haven't seen this land yet. They've heard about it, this land flowing with milk and honey. So they want to go there. And so the Lord tells Moses, hey, you're going to take one man from every tribe. There's 12 tribes. Take 12 men. Go spy out the land that I'm giving you. I want you to check out the land. What do you see? How many people do you notice? Are their cities strong, or are they just little bitty tents, right? Is it healthy? Do you see a lot of food, resources? Is the land resourceful and all that stuff? So they go spy out the land, and then suddenly they come back after 40 days and 40 nights. And they come back, and they're carrying this cluster of grapes on their shoulders. So it sounds to me like the land is pretty healthy. It's pretty resourceful that it takes two guys to carry a cluster of grapes. And to me, that's like, I think God's kind of showing you a picture. The land is literally ripe for the taking right? That's kind of what I see here. Like, they're coming back. Like, if you think it's resourceful, look at this. And so, naturally, we would think, it sounds great. They spied out the land that God promised to give them. They come back with a good rapport. Everything's good. But the problem is, that's not what happened. They come back, and then the 12 spies, and they're like, hey, we went, and it is flowing with milk and honey. It's awesome. 
But there are so many people there. We're, you have to remember, put yourself in the story. You've been in captivity for years, for millennia, right? or not millennia, centuries, right? You've been in captivity. You don't know how to fight, like warfare. So imagine what you thought when you see all these people. A little bit of panic probably set in. So they come out and they're like, we can't take it over, right? Like, there's no way that we can go there. They say the land's good, but then they're like, we can't do it. So that's where we're going to pick up in Numbers 13, chapter 30, because this is, this is awesome. There's this one guy out of the 12, though. All these guys are talking negative. And the one guy, his name is Caleb, he's able to silence the people before Moses. And he said, let us go at once and possess it, for we are able to overcome it. You have to imagine all of these people like radically yelling and crying, and this one dude can silence them because he's an awesome person. But the people that went up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people because they are stronger than we. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come from the giants. And in our eyes, we were like grasshoppers, and so we were in their eyes. So again, if you read the Bible like it's just a book, you're not doing it right. This is the Word of God. And so put yourself in it. Let God speak to you. If you just came out of captivity, and you've heard about this promised land by this dude Moses telling you these things, right? And God speaking, and you've heard his voice, and it's kind of scary, so you don't want to hear it anymore. Suddenly, they realize we have a chance to go into this land, but now we cannot go into this land. So panic mode sets in to these people, right? You left comfort. You left food. It was tough work, but you didn't have to worry about war. You didn't have to worry about all these like, issues that they're facing now. Yeah, I'm not saying it was a better situation, but to them, they thought it was. They thought comfort was better than pursuing the guarantee that God gave them. I've been there. And I think that some of you in this room have been there too. But luckily for us, there are people in our life that are willing to cry out on our behalf when we say, no, God, I don't think this is right. And that's exactly what Caleb, Joshua, Moses, and Aaron do. They cry out to God because when God hears the people reply like this, he's not happy. Okay, if that's how you want to be, you're not going to see the promised land. You're going to have to wait a long time to see this promised land that your children will see, but you won't see it because you're indecisive. You haven't made up your mind if you'll follow me. You haven't made up your mind if you'll trust me at my word. The word is active, and God is speaking to these people. And so one thing that I noticed through this is that God guaranteed the land. And there's like a little note to myself. When God guarantees something, you just need to trust him. Too often we wrestle. Well, not me, not my personality. That's me. Not me, not my degree. I don't have a doctorate. I can't do this. I don't have a bachelor's. I don't have an associate. Like, we always say no. But here's the scary part. If you say no to what God has guaranteed, you have to ask yourself, what's the alternative? Right? He's guaranteed something, but I say no, God. Ask yourself, what's the alternative? And sometimes the alternative is that you sit on the outskirt of the dream, and you see it fulfilled in someone else's life, and you didn't get to partake. So watch this. Next slide. This is literally what happens to these people. Because all those men, seeing my glory and my signs, so this is Numbers 14, you can read in between, and this is God's basic answer. 
because they've seen my signs, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and they've tempted me now these ten times, and they have not listened to my voice. Surely they will not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor will any of them who disgraced me see it. That's a terrible reality to know that our fear and our indecisiveness as the Israelites limited us from seeing the promises of God. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit, and with him, or sorry, with him, and followed me fully or wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land where he went, and his seed will possess it. This group will die for 40 years wandering, the adults, 20 years and over, they'll die before they see the promised land. They won't inherit this promise to them. Because for them, again, comfort was greater than anything. But you know what I love? That seems kind of gloomy and doomy. But God remembers Caleb. I love how he talks about Caleb. And I feel like what he's showing me about Caleb is that Caleb had a decided heart before he ever went out and spied the land. The reason I think that is because if you really go back and read Numbers 13... At the very beginning, it said, God is giving them the land, go spy it out. It didn't say God is saying, hey, I need you to go take on these people. I need you to really try hard. Maybe, just maybe it'll work. No, it said, God is giving them the land, go check it out. Well, Caleb was like, hmm, if I, one plus one is two. If God has given me this land, I'm going to go check it out, and I'm going to come back and say, let's go. Because God guaranteed that we were going to take this land. He was certain that God was going to do it. See, some of you have Twitter and Facebook, and here's a good one. Ready? Here's a quote. You ready? Caleb did not need to know the details, right? He didn't say, how do we take the land? When? He just needed to know the detailer. See, God was providing for him. I'm giving you the land. Don't worry about how. Go check it out. When you come back, then we'll talk about the rest. He didn't need to know all the details of the story. He just needed to know God. And so he followed after him, and he had a decided heart with that. Caleb was remembered for that. And everybody else, and their indecis- and, I can't say it, indecisions, indecisiveness, they all saw a problem, every one of them. And Caleb saw the solution. This is our land. Let's take it. God is with us. And to me, Caleb is the greatest example of every trailblazing, adventure-seeking pioneer in the history of the world. He knew without a shadow of a doubt, no matter what stood against him, the land was theirs. There was nothing that stood in the way. And so he had this dream that he would inherit the land because God promised him that. Forty years later, you'll read about it in Joshua 14, he takes this mountain. And Pastor Jody's going to talk about the mountain. Give me my mountain just next month. So I'm not going to spoil that right now. But here's a quote for you that... uh, Andy Andrews talked about in this book, and I'm going to tie it in with Caleb. He said, a person without a dream never had a dream come true. Like, how many of you gave up on your dream? How many of you never even allowed God to give you a dream? Because God gave the Israelites a dream, and he promised them the land, and many of them gave up on it. And so, in this study of the traveler's gift, comparing Caleb, this pioneer, he had a dream and he was committed to it because God spoke it. God spoke the dream. I can have my own dreams and if I can accomplish them, they're my dreams. If they're easy for me, that's my dream. But if it scares the bejesus out of me, that's because God said, you cannot do it without me, but dream big enough to let me work in your life. And that's exactly what Caleb did. He's telling all these people, don't worry about it. 
follow God, make a decision. And so he chose Christopher Columbus, and we're not going to get into everybody's opinion on him because it's rather negative today. But what I love how he talked about Columbus is imagine the, like, insanity of Christopher Columbus saying, maybe I'll sail west, and the earth is flat, right? Uh, That's what everybody thought. And he's like, nope, I'm going to sail west. I'm going to find a new route. I'm going to see land. I'm taking these people with me. And I'm like, dude... We've been sailing for 60 days. We ain't seen nothing. Luckily, they haven't fallen off the face of the earth, so at least that's a win. But for them, they're 60 days in. They keep looking. They haven't seen anything. And, it, and Andy Andrews kind of he paints Christopher Columbus as this person that the, the men of the crew would ask him, we, we need to turn back. We need to go back. And he's like, we're 60 days in. Where, do, where are we going to go? We don't have enough food. We have to stay the course. And so usually when you have this dream, it's radical, and people start like, saying little negative things about it. And when you have this dream, you have to stay the course, and that's where the vision comes in. You can see it, but they can't. See, Caleb could see the fact that they were taking the land, but the other ten, aside from Joshua, they couldn't see it. Caleb knew for fact, this land is our land, but the others just couldn't see it. So he cast the vision, and it's fulfilled 40 years later. And for Columbus, he cast the vision, we're going to see this land. We're going to see land. These conditions in our life, usually make us wonder, can I see the fulfillment of the dream? For Columbus, I'm sure it was terrifying about all this water. You're, at the, you're in the sea, storms are raging, you're running out of food, but he never let the condition stop him from pursuing his dream. And the same thing for Caleb. He never let the dream that God gave him and the promise that God gave him stop him from pursuing his dream. And that's what you do. When you're Caleb, you have a fire in your eye. That everybody sees in you and they're like, that person's crazy, but they're committed to the dream. They're committed to the vision. And then guess what? People will start to get behind you whenever you're crazy enough to pursue something everybody else won't do, right? And so suddenly, imagine 40 years later when Caleb sees the land and all these other people that were 20 and under, now they're with him and they can see the fire in his eyes. And he's like, I've waited 40 years for this moment and I knew it would come and I was patient. And imagine the excitement they had behind Caleb, because Caleb had a decided heart. He rallied behind it. And so for me, I experienced this Caleb moment in my life. I told you earlier, all this indecisiveness, I set that up because I wanted to show you that finally I was able to make a decision. You know, Caleb, he, he started out on the promises of God. That's how he made his decisions. For me, I started out on the condition of man, what I wanted, what I want to do. And for that was a big issue, and for 21 years, until I was 21 years old, I finally felt like God reached down, and he like, he's probably laughing at all the mistakes I've made, and he just turned me around. He said, it's time that you make a decision, son. You've been doing one plus one is three. That didn't even make sense. You've been trying too hard, and all these little moments of being just struggling to make a decision, it's time for you to make a decision. So several things happened in my life at that point that I had to make a decision. And I made a decision, funny enough, the thing that got me started in my indecisiveness at state, the girls, I swore them off. I said, okay, God, I'm going to give you a whole year. I'm not not dating anyone. I'm not going to go do the things I've done. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to talk to people like Pastor Jody. I talked to him about the flood. (laughs) I remember that. Yeah. So I had all kinds of questions about the Nephilim and all that stuff. And he was like, what's wrong with this guy? So sidebar. But I surrounded myself with people, and I came to this church, and I came to this altar, and a decision was made at 21 years old. And I tell you this, I haven't regretted that decision once, and I'm still 
after I told God I give him a year, I'm seven years removed almost, right? So, like, God's like, okay, give me an inch. I'll definitely go a mile with you. So, for you, I think you have to ask earlier. I asked you this question. So, I told you, I finally made this decision, just like Caleb. And I think there's people in this room that are struggling to make a decision today. I think that earlier I made light of which house should I live in, you know? What should I wear? What should I eat? But maybe you are that person in this room that's struggling. Where should my kids go to school? You know, maybe you're a college student. What degree should I choose? I have no idea, right? Like, that's where I was. All these things that weigh on us. Or maybe you are that person sitting next to your spouse, and you're like, what did I do? Don't, if you're laughing, Lord, help you. <laughs> maybe you're the person that is really in this moment. And here's, here's the issue. Our decisions are usually made based off emotion. And if, and if you're sitting next to your spouse and you're struggling, you have to remove the emotion. You have to remove the feelings. And you have to get to the truth that says, maybe I need to make a decision. I can't go off what I feel at this moment. Caleb didn't go off what he felt. Guarantee you, he saw these people. And I'm probably pretty sure it's a little t- intimidating to see a giant. But he was confident in the Word of God. And that's where you have to find your confidence. That's where you have to make your decision. So today, I believe that you, in this room, can have a decided heart, just like I can, and that I'm making this decision with you. I believe this based on personal experience in my life that I've shared. I believe it based on the biblical account of Caleb and, like, 30 other people that I could have shared with you. But I believe that today you can't answer the decisions that you wrestle with if you haven't made the most important decision of your life. And that is to follow Christ. And some of you in this room, you're like, yeah, I've heard that my whole life. But are you following Christ? Uh, Have I really embraced the reality of who he is in my life? Have I accepted the fact that he has bridged the gap that separated me from God? And I think, for me, if I just imagined what it would look like if everybody in this room decided to follow him wholeheartedly like Caleb there would be no indecisiveness. There would be no, well, maybe I should help that person out. Maybe I should go and open my home and lead a small group. That's small group's pastor for you. Maybe I should go and welcome these people to go on this journey with me, right? Like, these questions get answered easily once you follow Christ. And there's this quote that Francis of Assisi gets a lot of credit for. Some of you in this room have quoted it, um, and I hope you don't take offense to this. But the quote is, preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. That's the dumbest quote I've ever heard. But here's why. You can love your dog, but you don't preach the gospel. You can love a person, and you don't preach. Like, there are people today that have never heard the gospel. And you're just, well, we're just going to love them. We're just going to take them and just love them. We're not going to talk to them about Jesus. We're just going to love them. Love is a huge, huge necessary component of the gospel. It is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ, his love. They have to understand that. So today I have to, have to ask you, what decision do you need to make? What decision do you need to make today? Because here's what I believe. The single-handedly almost greatest issue today across the board, every single generation. So if you're in, hallelujah, if you're in here and you want to blame the millennial, go ahead. If you want to blame the baby boomer, go ahead. Generation X, Y, Z. Here's the issue, I think, with every single generation today. You guys can put that up there. It's not that we're inactive. We're all busy. It's that we're indecisive. Baby boomers, I've read, 25% of them don't have enough money for retirement. It's a lack of decisions that were made. 
The millennials today, we can't make a decision about what school to go to because we can't afford it because of all the student loan debt, all these little things. So I see the issue with our life is not that we're inactive. It's that we're indecisive as a whole, as a nation, and as a world. And I believe that you can be busy and be unproductive. If you guys are part of the Facebook page, and I've shared these devos for the last two weeks, one of them was on Mary and Martha. You can go read that story. But you see, the cool thing about uh, that is that Mary and Martha both kind of are polar opposites in this story. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha's busy. I'm serving. I'm serving. He's the one I need to serve. And Mary's sitting at his feet. I think Mary made a decision to follow him. And I think Martha was trying to make a decision. How do I do this to please him? Uh, She's active, but she's not productive. And Mary sat at his feet. He said, I won't be with you long, right? When I'm gone, it'll be even better for you. But the cool thing is Mary is like, I'm going to take him at his word. He's here. I'm going to sit at his feet. I'm going to listen to everything he says. And that's for us today that we often get busy and we make all these little decisions that we have regret about. And so I think when you make the most important decision to say, I'm following you wholeheartedly like Caleb, then you have meaningful decisions that are made then. It's not just suddenly I made this decision. So some people in this room need to make that decision for the very first time to follow Christ. And if that's you, I'd love to talk to you after church. Some of you need to make the decision that says, I'm tired of doing it halfway. If that's you, I'd love to talk to you after church. Some of you are like me, and you need to say, man, I need to wholeheartedly trust him at his word. I need to believe what he has said, like Caleb. God, give me that different spirit, like Caleb. I don't want to be like the other ten. I want to be like Caleb. I want to be wholehearted in this decision. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. And uh, I'm going to challenge you to make a decision where you are. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. So you don't have to feel like, man, he's taking names. I want you to close your eyes and ask yourself, what decision do I need to make? It could be something small, like maybe I need to buy this TV, but whatever it is. Maybe I need to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. When you open your eyes, in a little bit, you're going to see a phrase on the screen. And that's what I hope that is resonating in your heart today. So if you're in here right now and you need to make these decisions, ask what it is. What decision do I need to make? Make the decision. Okay, and everybody open your eyes. That right there says, today I have a decided heart. So we're about to sing a song together, and I asked them to sing it, and it's one of my favorite songs. Um, And I knew that this song had to be what we closed with. And I love corporate worship. And as Pastor Jerry talked about, man, like, we're not spectators. We're participators. And if you feel that you've made a decision in any capacity, even if it wasn't today to follow Jesus, echo it today. Repeat it. Remind yourself of a decision that you've made. Maybe you needed a little kick in the pants to be like Caleb today, right? Maybe you need to be wholehearted. That's the decision that you make. So this song that we're about to sing, I'm going to be honest with you. I love it, but it's challenging to say the words. And so what decisions you've made, I want you to not go through the motion in corporate worship, but look to the words on the screen when we sing and think about the decision you've made. And my idea, my goal, my hope is that you're singing so loudly that the kids are upset, right? They're like, we're supposed to hear them, vice versa. So like, well, that's my goal. And so in an arrogant way, I'm saying don't sing it if you don't mean it. I don't think you've ever heard a pastor say, hey, don't sing in church. 
But I'm serious. Today, you've made a decision. What is the decision that you've made? They're going to lead us in this decision. And I just, I'm going to pray real quick over you, and then they're going to lead us in this song. So God, thank you for today and the opportunity that you've given us to be here. Thank you for speaking to us through your word and showing us what it means to have a wholehearted look and take on your word like Caleb and to follow you with a different spirit. And I pray for the decisions that are made today, that you speak to these people's hearts and you give them strength to follow after you, that they remember that the things that they cannot do on their own, that's okay. That is okay. As long as they make the decision, they know that you will be there, Father, and you will give them strength to make it through. And we love you today, and I pray that as we sing this song, we remind ourselves of how far we've come, even if it means we just made the decision 10 seconds ago or 20 years ago, or remind us of the decision that we've made and how far we've come. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.